This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We're here for the Max and Murphy podcast this week, but unfortunately we're, th- we're without Jarrett Murphy, who had a scheduling conflict, so he's not with us today. But um, I am joined by Ross Barkin, a journalist and state senate candidate. Welcome, Ross. Thank you for having me. I also want to say um, at the start here, uh, not only couldn't Jarrett make it, but we did try to schedule this um, with both you, Ross, and your Democratic primary opponent, Andrew Gernardis. Um, we had everything scheduled, but Andrew is still working a job in the Brooklyn Borough President's office, so he wound up um, having a work issue and not able to make it. So it's just the two of us, um, which will be good, um, but I just wanted to make sure everybody's aware of sort of um, the process behind our conversation today. So you've been a journalist your professional career, and you decide to run for office. So take listeners, take us through that decision-making process. Sure. So I'd say the genesis of it was the 2016 election when I went in to vote. Um, actually, it wasn't on election day. I did a absentee because I was actually in Europe on election day, which is another story entirely. But when I went in to vote, I saw that the uh, Republican state senator who has represented me since I was 13 years old, and I'm from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, I grew up there, I still live there, this state senator named Marty Golden was unopposed. And this is a right-wing Republican running in Brooklyn, New York, who didn't even have a Democratic opponent going against him. And I thought, this is funny. What's going on here? And I have, uh, from my reporting, a fair amount of knowledge about the local political scene and about policy, both on the city and state level, and I still thought this was curious, but who says that's enough to make anyone want to run? It just gave me a thought. And then in 2017, what really catalyzed it for me was the transportation crisis, which was years in the making. And seeing not only how the subway system melted down and our bus system failed to get people anywhere it wasn't i'd say it wasn't only about seeing that as much as the reaction from the political class and that's democrats and that's republicans and just being from a personal standpoint very dissatisfied. I felt that the governor wasn't owning the crisis. I felt that uh, my state senator, Marty Golden, who sits on the MTA Capital Review Board, had not done anything for the transportation system, had said nothing about the subways, nothing about upgrading the signaling network, nothing about the buses, nothing about making subways accessible to people with disabilities, nothing about accessorides. Seeing all of this, I felt like he deserved to be challenged and then it was a question of can I actually do this can I make this leap sacrifice potentially a lot of income and maybe journalism opportunities could I do this and I waffled a lot I I started to think about it over the summer and I, I would go back and forth one day I'd wake up and I'd feel like I wanted to do it the next day I'd wake up and say no this is crazy I credit my uh, family, my uh, loving girlfriend with encouragement. I told very few people besides a few close friends. No one knew. I didn't want anyone to know I, I was even considering it. And then in October, I decided, you know what? I'm going to do it, and let's see what happens. I didn't 
do any planning beyond paying someone to build a website. I did not prime any donors. I did not get consultants lined up. It was not your typical strategy in terms of if you want to run for office, what you should really do is start the process many months before you announce. I did not do that. This started on a fly in October. And here we are in March, and I think we've been very successful, and I'm very happy with where we are. So we'll, we'll talk a little more about where you are and where your campaign is uh, in, a, in a minute. Um, but you referenced the district and the incumbent, um, Marty Golden, who's been in office quite a while. Um, talk a little bit more about the district and the office sure. you're running for. And, um, you know, there might even be listeners who don't really understand the state Senate and what it, what it does. So how do you sure. sort of capture um, the district and why this seat sure. is important? So I'm running in the 22nd Senate District, which covers much of southern Brooklyn. That's Bay Ridge, it's Diker Heights, Bensonhurst, Bath Beach, Gravesend, Marine Park, Manhattan Beach, a sliver of Sheepshead Bay, Gerritsen Beach. I think I got all of it. I always forget something. It's actually a gerrymandered district. We don't have independent redistricting in New York State, so Marty Golden drew his own district and tried to exclude as many people of color and Democratic-leaning voters as possible. Despite all that, it remains a heavy Democrat registration advantage for me. still makes it a tough race. I see the state Senate as a place of fantastic, of a place of fantastic importance. Most of what affects us in New York City happens on the state level in some form, whether it's taxes, whether it's transit, whether it's education, whether it's your roadways, your day-to-day -day existence and your day-to-day -day existence is governed by Albany. We are a prisoner of the state. We have been since the 1970s, since the fiscal crisis. I left out tenant and rent laws as well. Those are controlled by the state legislature. So there's a lot at stake in the state Senate. The state Senate is the upper chamber of the legislature. There are 63 state senators. The state Senate is currently controlled by Republicans. Very slim one-vote majority that is also aided by a group of eight breakaway Democrats, the IDC. Few people understand... And Felder. And, and Sensimka Felder, it's another story. <laughs> um, few people understand that, with one brief exception, Republicans have been in the state Senate majority since the 1960s, and that has really held us back in, in many ways, whether it's our horrible voting laws, horrible campaign finance, uh, inequitable school funding, failing transportation... I see turning the Senate Democrat as a very important quest, and not only turning a Democrat, but getting the right Democrats in there. And I think I am the right Democrat. I think I am a progressive. I also think I'm an independent. I, I do believe I can do a lot of good work up there and really, and to be frank, save the district from Marty Golden, who's a terrible state senator and a failed state senator. So while you're on that point, there's a few things you mentioned that I want to follow up on, but while you're on that point about Senator Golden, um, he would argue a Senate uh, Republican majority helps keep 
the state from and the city from going in a disastrous direction with Democrats fully in control. He would argue that he's able to bring a lot of resources back to the district. Uh, he would argue that, uh, you know, he's very supportive of uh, the uniformed employees of the city, you know, being a former cop himself. Um, and he's obviously that's one of those are some of the issues that he's been front and center on. Um, are there any of those things? I mean, obviously, you disagree that a Democrat that Democrats running mm -hmm. the state would would take it in the wrong direction. But um, what about having someone in his position because he's so key to the control of the Senate and because he's been there a while, being able to shape legislation, being able to bring resources back to the district? Don't don't the people in the district seem fairly happy with his representation? I don't think they are. <laughs> I would say Marty Golden has remarkably little to show for 15 years in the state Senate, most of those years in the majority. I think back to transportation and his position on the MTA Capital Review Board. You're talking about a, a subway and bus system that is an abject failure and an embarrassment that and may doom our city in the long run. The, when I when Marty Golden on Valentine's Day of all days uh, commissioned a piece or had a friendly editor uh, write a piece in the local newspaper called "Why I Love Marty Golden," his biggest brag from a transportation standpoint was restoring one weekend express bus service, which I thought was laughable. I'm not saying the entire transportation crisis has to be hung around Marty Golden's neck. You can hang it around the governor's neck. You can blame a lot of people. You can blame complicit Democrats in the Senate and the Assembly for not saying more about transit. But Marty's been in a unique position to advocate for our buses, for our subways, for our accessor ride, for, for Brooklyn. And he has nothing to show for it. There are no great infrastructure projects in my district. Our parks are in a state of disrepair. The property tax system is broken. Part of that's de Blasio's fault. Where has Marty Golden and the state Senate Republican majority been in fixing our property tax system so people in our district can pay lower property taxes? He's been nowhere. He's been missing in action. And I'm not saying that I'm going to get in there and wave a magic wand in 2019 and all your problems will be solved. What I'm saying is I'm actually a person is going to be committed to trying to solve them. And Marty Golden's record is just one of abject failure, and I'm not afraid to say that. So before you have a one-on-one uh, -on -one shot um, to try to take out Marty Golden, you have to get through the Democratic primary I first. do. Um, so as I mentioned at the top of the discussion, Andrew Gernardis, um, who's been, um, like yourself, a longtime resident in the district, who ran against Golden in 2012, 12. 12, um, and is, has led a, you know, helped lead a Democratic club in the area and works with the Brooklyn Borough President um, and so on is also running at mm -hmm. this time. There's been some rumors about him maybe switching to an assembly race, but let's assume for now it's it's the two of you continuing to go head-to-head -head in this Democratic primary. Um, what separates you? Why and, and you know, why not sort of let someone who's, who's given it a shot before and has all these ties, if you want Marty Golden out of office, why not let him take that mantle? What, what, what's the difference? Sure. So a few points. One I did declare first... I would say I have a lot of respect for Andrew. I have a respect for the race he ran. I have respect for his community service. I think he's a very nice person. 
He ran in 2012. He lost. I'm here to win. I would also add that I am an independent Democrat. That's not independent Democratic conference. That's an independent <laughs> Democrat. I'm a Democrat who's both progressive and I'm willing to stand up the, to the powers that be. I, I say on the trail a lot that I'm an outsider who knows the system inside and out. I'm not afraid to speak truth to power. I think my journalism training, my knowledge of city and state issues, my, my awareness of how politicians succeed and how they fail sets me apart. I also think I'm running a very viable campaign. We've raised close to $100,000 at this point. I don't even know. I haven't counted since our January filing, but we're doing well. I can unify the district. It's a very factional district. There are fiefdoms, and there's a lot of inside baseball. And to be honest, my um, my journalism background and, and my record as an unflinching outsider is actually refreshing to a lot of people in the district, both elected officials and not. And so when I go to Marine Park or I go to Manhattan Beach or I go to Bensonhurst and I talk to people, they like what this campaign is about. And I believe I can bring people together, that I have a record, I have a vision I also have the relationships. I've built up a lot of relationships. And again, while I can't say I have sat on the community board, which I haven't since I was a journalist, I have other civic experience, and that's being a native son of the district, and it's being someone who has been very immersed in the issues and in the area for a very long time. So when you say... You're getting a good reception, uh, and when you say the sort of message of being an outsider who knows the system inside and out is resonating, um, who's that with? Who's 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 giving you a good reception? Who are you sure. meeting with? Um, who seems convinced that you're the right sure. candidate? So uh, we can start with people. You know who who when I will say when I go to an event, I, I've been doing a lot of senior events. I don't have a day job right now. I mean, I'm writing occasional columns, but I, I'm a I'm a candidate. I'm a full time candidate, so I'm out at a lot of senior luncheons and senior centers, and I go there and I say, look, uh, I'm I'm a Democrat, but I, I'm here to fight for your rent laws, fight for your rent control. I don't take real estate developer money. I'm very staunch about not taking money from for-profit real estate developers because I believe that they own City Hall and they own Albany and we have to take back control from Rebney. And when I talk to seniors in particular, they're very drawn to that message. They like the idea that I'm someone who can tell it like it is. I go to conservative areas and I've, I've picked up supporters. I, I've been in rooms with people who voted for Trump and they come to me afterwards and they go, I like what you said about transportation because we may disagree and I think Trump's a horrible president and I think he needs to really go somewhere else. That all being said, even conservatives in this district and moderates understand that the MTA is a failed bureaucracy, that it doesn't know how to spend money, that we have to talk about that too. We have to talk about getting new revenue to the MTA, and we have to talk about the fact that it is a failed bureaucracy, that the MTA chair is doing an awful job, and that the governor has to step it up. As de Blasio does too, I get great lines when I take shots at de Blasio at the 
senior centers, and I don't do it gratuitously. I do it because I think de Blasio has real successes and he has real failures. I'm not afraid to point those out. Um, just an example or two of these shots at de Blasio that you take? Um, I would say that my, my, my issues with de Blasio run in a few areas. One is the bus system, and the, the buses are under the aegis of the MTA, but the roadways are controlled by the city, the streets. And if de Blasio understood how to use leverage better and really cared about the bus system, we could have a world-class bus system. And instead, we have an awful bus system with declining ridership that's getting slower and slower. And I have a real problem with that because I think, <clears throat> I think de Blasio is in a position to really advocate for the buses and, and not just grandstand on other issues or advocate for a stupid streetcar, which I always bring up. I'm a big critic of the BQX streetcar. He can talk about other transit solutions. I'm a supporter of the Triborough RX, which would be a train line on existing rail that would run from Bay Ridge all the way to Astoria and through central Brooklyn and really change a lot of people's lives. He never talks about that. So that's just one example. I think he's an awful transportation record. I think Cuomo is awful too because he has more power, but de Blasio, I cannot let off the hook. And of course, I don't really have any NYCHA in my district because Marty Gold and gerrymandered it all out of the district, but de Blasio's stewardship of the housing authority has been quite poor. So um, there's probably not too, too many de Blasio fans in the district, so that, that makes some sense. Um, but you are, um, you know, politically that makes some sense to sort of attack him. But you are running in a Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, you've raised a good bit of money, as you said, about $100,000 so far. Um, you know, I wonder, is it possible to win, you know, assuming that Andrew Gennardis stays in mm -hmm. and sort of starts to get some institutional support, mm -hmm. elected officials like his boss, Eric Adams, mm -hmm. um, and others, unions, you know, where do you see all that shaking out? Because it can be very challenging to win Democratic primaries without that type of support. Certainly can. I wouldn't discount myself from any support. I don't know what unions are doing. I don't know what all elected officials are doing. One way to understand this district is that it's very decentralized. There is no machine. There is no one person calling the shots. It's really going politician by politician, club by club, person by person, and working and building a coalition, building coalitions with the Arab American community, the Chinese community, the Pakistani community, the Russian community, the Orthodox Jewish community. It's a very diverse district, and so... I like my chances of building a winning coalition. That's why I'm here. I didn't take a break and turn my back on full-time journalism to lose. Mm -hmm. I, I don't do this lightly. I didn't do it on a whim. I did it to win. So I expect to build the winning coalitions. And I really don't expect any great machine to emerge to stamp me out because I've studied this and, and there is no one machine. There are many interest groups and some will like me and some will hate me. And I think at the end of the day, I will have the support to win. And that's why I'm here. Does it matter to you? I mean, are you, are you actively sort of trying to get some of the crossover elected officials in the, of the district, you know, city council members or 
other elected officials is that you know you and labor unions are you having those meetings or Abs- you- absolutely i meet with everyone mm-hmm. I, it's i i do i i I'm, i've met with almost every elected in the district i've met with many labor unions i take labor very seriously i'm a big supporter of organized labor um i i am talking to everyone will everyone support me no but i conversations are ongoing so i want to talk to you definitely a bit more about um your journalism and even your ongoing journalism and how um, how that coincides with your candidacy. But I don't know, you know, you've, you've mentioned some issues, certainly, but I don't know that we've exactly talked quite yet in this conversation about sort of the top planks of your agenda. Sure. So if you are giving, you know, sort of your stump speech, sure. um, your pitch, what are the three or four things that you're saying I'm going to go fight for in, in Albany? I would say healthcare, transportation, housing. Healthcare, we have a horrendous healthcare system in this country, in this state. My father's a type 1 diabetic. He's 78 years old. The price of his insulin goes up every year. There's no reason why. It's simply a greedy pharmaceutical company wants to make an extra buck. It's because. We have a healthcare system built around profit, not built around people. It's because healthcare is a privilege and not a right in this country, which is sick. I'm a big supporter of the New York Health Act. I want to see universal health care in the state. Talk about transportation. I put out a comprehensive transportation platform. I want to reform how the MTA spends money. We spend $2.5 billion uh, per mile on a project like the Second Avenue subway that's madness. We're wasting money on the east side access. We're wasting money on the weird bridge lights and the weird tunnel sculptures on all types of crap that doesn't make the trains run on time. I believe we have to invest in the signaling network that is almost 100 years old. We have to do it fast. The pace we're doing it will be done when I'm 80 years old, and that's frightening. Um, I believe we have to raise new revenue for the MTA. I'm open to a millionaire's tax in the MTA regions. I'm open to congestion pricing. I want to see what these final plans look like. A lot of plans are being bandied about. I liked the Move New York plan because it cut the tolls on the Verrazano Bridge, which were out of control. That is not on the table right now. That all being said, congestion is not just a problem in Manhattan. It's a problem in Brooklyn, too. You go... In my district, um, down 3rd, 4th Avenue, you can barely drive your car. You, know, you got Uber and Lyft proliferating everywhere. You can't have a transportation system where you can have 100,000 new cars on the road. It doesn't make sense. I um, am a big supporter of tenants. I'm a fierce opponent of the real estate industry. I don't take revenue money. I believe that we have to break the hold of the real estate industry on our politics. And what, we have what, to strengthen. what does that hold? I mean, I've heard you, you, you know, you said you don't take developer money. Are develop, I mean, why, what, what are they, what have they wrought? I mean, what's so bad about developers? Oh God, well, developer, in one category? developers, and I don't want to indict all this because there are, there are nonprofit developers. There, there are well-meaning people in that world. I'm talking about the developers who fund Rebney, who fund the Senate Republican Conference, who routinely every four years when rent laws come up for renewal, either gut them or maintain a status quo of what were previously gutted laws 20 years ago. We've lost hundreds of thousands of units of rent-stabilized housing since the 1990s. 
We used to have commercial rent control in the city until the 1960s. I would like to bring commercial rent control back. I think our small businesses are dying. This is also a civil rights issue. Small business owners are immigrants. They're people of color. You look around not just Manhattan, but Bay Ridge and everywhere. The only businesses that can even hang around are chains like Walgreens and Dunkin' Donuts. And the problem is you have vacant storefronts and they just sit there because the landlord is waiting for the tenant who is a bank who is a chain who can pay an exorbitant amount of money so this all stems from real estate this stems from from Rebney. um and and i am committed to doing my part to break that hold and really fight for small business owners fight for tenants fight for the working class other planks of the platform, combating climate change, we were impacted by Hurricane Sandy, putting a price on carbon, divesting from fossil fuels, very important to me, education, fairly funding education, complying with the campaign for fiscal equity suit, combating the spread of charter schools. We can talk about my women's issues platform, getting universal pre and postnatal care in New York State actually combating the culture of sexual harassment in Albany and, and having making sure politics has its Me Too moment, which it really has not. Who's helping you um, create these platforms? I mean, do you have advisors? Do you have informal, formal advisors? I have. You've raised we have 100000 Are you spending any of it? <laughs> we have. Um, so, yeah, we, we, have a, we have a small team. Um, I have a data person we just hired a field director we have volunteers who have been helping us on policy certainly our transportation policy i have a very good volunteer who's been helping me draft policy platforms he's been excellent i certainly come up with ideas i've had a lot of ideas from my journalism days i, I shape the language myself with in consultation with volunteers who are helping us with research i hope to get these people paid too at some point because um i want to pay people fairly on this campaign i, I don't want to lowball anyone that's important to me as a, as a labor advocate so we have a team we have a growing team in terms of campaign just to get inside baseball we pay for what we can afford we scale up as we raise money and not this is not going to be a campaign that falls into debt it's a big issue with many new campaigns as well as establishment campaigns where they spend a ton and then when the campaign is over they owe a ton this is not going to be that campaign we spend i am i can afford everything i can currently afford when i can afford more i will be paying for more are you do you have a you know one of the bigger or any consultancy that you're working with and is that part of the plan or are you going to basically be the campaign manager um, we have no consultant, no major consultant currently. I've had conversations with people and keep that under wraps for now. I have to figure out um, what I want to do, to be honest with you. Campaigns waste a lot of money. Campaigns are remarkably inefficient. Campaigns blow a lot of money on things that maybe they shouldn't blow money on. And so one of the, the ways I think I'm going to be successful is really investing my money in the in stuff that matters like field the get out the vote paying an excellent field director making sure he has paid cannabis making sure we are bringing in the best organizers my money when i tell donors like you know when donors ask me where is my money going i say it's going into the best field operation this area has ever seen and i'm very very open about that and proud of that because that's how you win elections so your your field operation is 
run then if it's going to be the best the area's ever seen run by someone with experience I mean, yeah we, the... we hired a field director uh, Zoran Mamdani I announced it a few weeks back he's outstanding he worked for the Cotter Elliott team campaign in 2017 a city council campaign in Bay Ridge and Diker Heights in this district that while it didn't win it came in a strong second and did something remarkable which was bring new voters into the fold to beat Marty Golden you can't work off of the stale Democratic Party playbook. You have to reconfigure the electorate. You have to reach out to people of color. You have to reach out to new voters. You have to reach out to young voters. You have to reach out to all the independents and Democrats who have been left out of the conversation because we've had so few competitive elections. Well, right. And first, you're going to have to get uh, lots of those Democrats to vote on what is now September 13th. Yes. Uh, and, that, and that work. And, um, that, and then we'll be we'll be working hard on that. So I'm here with Ross Barkin uh, in our last maybe four or five minutes uh, talking about his state Senate campaign. And he's running in the 22nd state Senate district trying to unseat Republican incumbent Marty Golden, um, but also running in a Democratic primary first. Uh, and we're talking about his campaign and his transition from journalism. Uh, and I want that's that's what I want to get to next. But I just wanted to revisit. you talked about your your agenda items um, and and sort of who's helping you craft some of these. So for you know, you mentioned re- really taking on sexual harassment, having a women's agenda, is that a platform area that you brought in a, a number of voices to help you craft? How did, you know, that one, for example, I, how did you, did you have women advising you? I did, yes. I, I consulted with, with several women who are, who are very knowledgeable about this, and I showed them the platform, and they gave their suggestions, and I incorporated them. This was not something I could do alone. It's not something I've experienced with in that I, I've never been sexually harassed, and I've not sexually harassed anyone. But as a straight white man, I've had the privilege of never being catcalled and never working in an environment where I felt pressured by seniority to do certain things. So I had to consult with other people. I had to go outside of my experiences. I was happy I did that. I was happy with the platform that came out from, from doing that. And obviously, folks can check out your campaign website for details on, on any Ross of these Barkin. items. Rossbarkin.com. Um, Click the donate button. So, uh, well, look at the platform first, uh, I would say. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so, journalism. You are still writing some. Um, a little bit. For the Guardian. Yes. And an occasional... Occasional Village, village voice, voice. A little bit. Um, are there any issues with that i mean are there any uh, you know how did you convince those editors to let you keep writing while you're a candidate or is that was that not something that really came up it wasn't too difficult for the guardian i'm opining on national politics so there's really no overlap i wrote recently about dodd frank i it's still sort of free exposure right it's like added um i suppose i mean candidates and politicians write columns i mean they they submit op-eds i i see Often, whether it's in the Times or city and state or anywhere, politicians do op-eds while they're running, while they're preparing to run. So for me, it's no different than that process. I do opinion now. I'm not calling people up on the phone. I'm not reporting. I'm not a traditional reporter right now. I don't have time for it, and it wouldn't make sense for me to do that. But I'll share my opinions. I go on Twitter. I go on Facebook. I... 
write occasional columns. People want to want to, or maybe they don't want to know what I think. But if I have a, a venue or an opportunity to do it, I will take that opportunity. I'm, I'm very proud of my writing, of my record, and of my opinions, which maybe some will disagree with, and I respect that. Um, but I, I like the debate. I like the conversation. So going from journalism to politics is obviously not unheard of, but it isn't the most common path. No, you know, it's not. Someone like your primary opponent is a little more common, right? Working yep. in government than running for office. Correct. So how... Um, a, how has journalism prepared you for this run? Uh, you've sort of touched on that a little bit in this conversation, but how has it prepared you for this run? And B, does it make you qualified to be a legislator, to be an elected official where you have a lot of say in a budget, can draft legislation on the state level, and are tasked with voting on some major, major uh, legislation on the state level? I believe it equips, equips me very well for this role. Being a journalist, writing about City Hall, I was a City Hall reporter for two years, writing about Albany, national politics, policy and politics. It's given me a fairly thorough understanding of issues, of understanding how things get done, how things don't get done, why politicians do the things they do, what perverse incentives exist for them. I've had a peek under the hood, and now I'm using that expertise and, and that acquired knowledge for a different purpose. And in terms of, on a practical level, what skills as a journalist prepare you for politics, it's the people's skills, it's the ability to overcome shyness. I am deep down something of an introvert where I have to really push myself to have conversations with strangers or to approach people when you're in journalism or whether you're in politics you have to overcome that you have to overcome that quickly and i was nervous the first time i had to go to a subway stop and hand out campaign lit i, I paced around and i wondered what would happen if people would just curse at me or the rejection would sting me and I would feel ridiculous for doing it and then I did it and then I did it again and I did it a third time and I overcame it so whether you're a journalist calling people up for a quote or harassing the mayor harassing the governor and now you're courting a voter or you're still as a politician driving on issues. And so I, I, as a journalist, was in a unique position at least the past year where I was a columnist and journalist. So I w was sharing opinions. I was sharing insights. I was not your AP-style reporter. So this transition was a little less difficult because most people already knew where I was coming from before I announced. It wasn't a secret that I had a perspective Right, your it village, was, it your was village voice columns I had, were very I, sharp on the governor and the IDC right, and things the, like right, that. Right, the, mm -hmm. the record was there, and I stand by everything. Mm -hmm. So are you qualified? I mean, are you, does that, can, does it make sense for someone who's been a journalist to then be entrusted as a legislator? Oh, absolutely. I think journalists are some of the most qualified people because they've been so close to the process and holding people to account and being independent. You talk about 
most people who become politicians, they're staffers or they maybe worked as a lawyer for a while or they did some other typical experience. There's nothing wrong with that. We've had a lot of great politicians who are former staffers and that prepares you. At the same time, what I did prepared me and I would put my record, my record of independence, my record of success in the journalism world, my record on the issues up against anyone. And I, I, can just, I can speak about stories I've written that have made change, and I can speak about why your transportation bureaucracy is a nightmare, and I'm not going to fall back on platitudes. I'm not going to fall back on cheap talking points because I don't have to. I, I know the issues. Um, in just our last minute here, who, uh, you know, you sort of just said that, so, that, that there's been times where, you know, the typical, some of the typical path to being an elected official has worked quite well. Who are some elected officials in New York, a couple that you think do a good job? Liz Kruger, um, state center on the east side of Manhattan. I've had the opportunity to meet with her. I think she's extremely intelligent, and she's also independent and, and progressive, which I admire. I think she's someone who speaks her mind, who goes against the grain, and is not afraid to because she understands if you – have a position if you have a reasoning behind the position if you explain yourself to your constituents even if they disagree with you they, they might understand because they know you're coming from an honest place another state senator i like a lot gustavo rivera who i had the opportunity to meet with another independent progressive and these are people who i hope get into the majority and hope have a chance to really shine um on a national level i have a lot of respect for bernie sanders i don't agree with, with every position he holds, particularly on his past votes he took on gun control. That all being said, I admire the campaign he ran. I admire the fact that he took a risk. Elizabeth Warren, too. I would love if she ran for president or Bernie or, or anyone who, who's not afraid to stand up to the big banks and stand up to the financial industry and stand up to really the people who are screwing us over. So I think we'll have to leave it there, uh, but that, but I uh, appreciate the time. And, um, you know, we didn't get into something you just mentioned, which is Democrats potentially going into the Senate majority. And there's a lot of things um, happening right now around the special elections, especially in Westchester, and whether there will be this unity deal between the mainline Democrats and the IDC. Um, we don't have, we won't go into a lot of discussion of it, but do you have um, sort of any thought on where you are thinking about that. I mean, by the time your race is decided, we already might see Democrats sort of reuniting for a majority in the state Look, Senate. I hope they reunite. I also hope the IDC primary challenges are successful because I do believe there should be consequences for empowering the Republican majority for half a decade. That all being said, when, when the elections are done, I hope there is unification. I hope we can build a Senate Democratic majority. I hope that Jeff Klein can start standing up to the real estate industry. I hope that we can strengthen rent laws in 2019, not just renew them. I hope for all of these things, and I want peace. I don't want infighting. I want a strong majority that will work for New York City, that will work for Brooklyn, because at the end of the day, that is the problem with the Republican conference. They don't represent us. They never will. They don't care about the subways because they don't ride the subways. So Ross Barkin, uh, journalist turned uh, candidate for office, is there anything I didn't ask you that I, that I should have? <laughs> 
Oh man, good question. All the dark secrets and nasty things I have to do to win an election and all the friendships I have to destroy. No, I'm kidding. Actually, people still <laughs> we'll, like me. It's we'll, surprising. We'll, uh, we'll have to have you back to discuss uh, all the nefarious tactics. That yes, all, that the, all the underhanded tactics. But thanks for the time, and uh, we'll be following your race as you head from uh, now March towards the September primary. Sounds good. Thank you.